Good morning, everyone. My name is Joseph. I'll be doing the second Bible reading, sticking from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 7. You can find the reading on page 759 of the Pew Bibles, or you can follow on the screen. Isaiah 43, and starting from verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you, and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is God's word. Thanks, Joseph. Uh, you could keep your Bible open to that passage. We'll work through it. If you're a note taker, there's a, an outline in the handout you might find helpful. Uh, so feel welcome to follow along with that if that's helpful. But as we begin, I'm going to come before God in prayer. So please um, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active sharper than a double-edged sword. We thank you that it cuts deeper than even bone and marrow, but it cuts right through our hearts. Would you be at work through your word today, continuing to conform us into the image of your Son? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Follow your passion, and it will lead you to your purpose. Follow your passion, and it will lead you to your purpose. That's a quote from our great cultural sage, Oprah Winfrey. Follow your purpose, follow your passion, and it will lead you to your purpose. And perhaps on first blush, it sounds like quite a good quote. We think, oh yeah, if I can find what I'm passionate about, if I can only discover what I'm most passionate about, then that's what I should devote my life to. That's my purpose. And so on first blush, maybe it sounds so good, but if we stop and think about it at all, then it becomes clear that actually it's not so helpful. Because in a sense, it's putting the cart before the horse. Because our passions, they constantly switch and change. When I was 10, my passion was Pokemon. Uh, I loved Pokemon cards, I loved the games, I loved the cartoon. You could ask me any question about Pokemon, I could have answered it for you instantly. But then what happened? Well, I got older and my passions changed. It switched from Pokemon to football. I was extremely passionate about football. I followed every up and down of Melbourne. The problem was we had 10 solid years of down. And so after 10 years of solid down, my passion started changing again. I started getting passionate about designing games and I got passionate about theology. You kind of see the problem, don't you? If, if our, our passions change over time. And so if our purpose is tied to our passions, then our purpose is going to keep changing over time as our passions change. 
And the problem is then that if our passions and our purpose are changing, then we have no clear purpose in life. And without a clear purpose in life, then we'll constantly keep changing, changing directions, changing jobs, changing relationships, changing church, changing everything, hoping that eventually we'll be able to fill that hole we've got in our heart, that eventually we'll be able to make that emptiness go away, that eventually we'll be able to feel like there's meaning in our life, hoping that each time the new passion and therefore the new purpose will satisfy. But the problem is it doesn't. And so we move on from one passion and purpose to the next, to the next, to the next. Follow your passion. It will lead you to your purpose. Do you see the issue with that? So what should we do instead? Well, rather than find our, follow our passion to find our purpose, I think we first need to find our purpose, which should then govern our passions. But of course, the question is, well, how do I find my purpose? I think, again, the problem is that we often put the, the cart before the horse. Often we ask questions like this. What am I passionate about? What do I want to be in life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams in life? We focus on ourselves. But that's starting in the wrong place. Now, this is the Antithakiran mechanism. It was found in 1900 on a shipwreck near Greece. And they, they think that it's from around uh, 2,000 years ago or so, so just before the time of Jesus, 2,000 years old. So we found it about 100 years ago, and scientists and historians have been studying it for more than 100 years to try and figure out what it does. But the problem is they haven't been able to figure out. It's got lots of kind of gears and cogs on it, so they think it's maybe the first computer, but they have no idea for what purpose, following the stars as a compass. They have no idea, even though they've been studying it for 100 years. And that's what happens when you try and start with an object, when you try and look at an object and figure out what its purpose is. No, 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 instead what you need to do is talk to the one who invented it. Now, our problem with that is he's been dead for 2,000 years, but we need to talk to the one who invented something if we want to know what it was made for. We need to go to the creator to find out what the creation's purpose is. And so that is exactly the same with us. Rather than starting with ourselves to find out our purpose, we instead need to go to our creator, the one who made us. Because he's the one that can tell us what our purpose is. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to start with our maker, with God. And we're going to see what he tells us about our purpose. And as we do, we'll go to four different scenes, to four different locations, and each one will help us to know just a little bit about ourselves and by extension, what our purpose is. What we'll see is what our maker made us for. And so the first scene is a workshop. There's saws and there's drills, there's lathes and there's routers, there's the constant kind of whir of machines, the sliding of sandpaper. And this workshop scene shows us something about ourselves. It tells us we were built by God's purpose. God made you. If not for God's purpose, you would not exist. Have you ever thought about that? God built you. That's what we see in verse 1. Have a look at verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, 
he who formed you, Israel. It's, uh, God is about to start speaking here. And as he's introduced, he's introduced as the one who built Jacob and Israel, two big, key Old Testament figures. But the point isn't that he made those two and no one else, but rather he made those two and all of God's people. But even more than that, not just God's people, but all people. You were built by God's purpose. At the end of last year, uh, many of you might have gone along, we had a men's event here at church, and what the men's, event, men's committee got was they got in a whole bunch of machines and they turned the hall out the back into a workshop. There were belt sanders, there were routers, there were drills, there were bandsaws. They basically turned it into a workshop. It was great. It took me back to my teaching days of being a woodwork teacher. And we then spent the whole afternoon making things. There was sawdust everywhere. There's the constant kind of whir and hum of machines there's the beating of hammers, there's the sliding of sandpaper. It was an enjoyable afternoon. And what we did at the end, we all walked away with one of these. So this is mine, this is what I made, it's a, a board. And we all got to shape our own. And it was great. And we all actually took a lot of effort and, and care in lovingly creating our boards. We had to choose the right bit of timber. We had to mark out our design. We had to then cut it back. We then used the router to take the corners off. We then had to sand and polish it. We lovingly poured ourselves into our creation. And in a sense, that is what God did with you. But instead of choosing you from the right bit of wood, he formed you from the ground. Instead of cutting you with a bandsaw, he formed you with his hands. Instead of polishing you up with oil, he poured his spirit into you. Do you want to know what your purpose is? Do you want to know what you are here for? Well, if you do, then this workshop scene tells you the first thing you need to know. You were built by God's purpose. And that means that he gets to decide what your purpose is. Because that's the beauty of things. As the maker, we get to decide what something is used for. Now, these boards that we made, apparently they're meant to be cheese boards, uh, but I hate cheese, so I wasn't going to sully my handiwork with cheese. So I've decided that instead of a cheese board, this is a chocolate board. And it's sometimes also a sit in my office doing nothing board. But that's the beauty. I mean, I made it, so I get to decide what it's used for. And in the same way, God gets to decide what our purpose is, because he made us. We are the work of his hands. He formed us from the dirt, he breathed his spirit into us. But how terrible would it be if one day my board turned around and said to me, Ollie, I don't like being a chocolate board. Instead, I'm going to be a laptop. That's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a laptop. I mean, if it said that, things would go terribly because it's not built to be a laptop. It doesn't have what it needs to be a laptop. But sometimes that is kind of what we do to God. And we say, God, I know you designed me for something, but I'm going to decide instead what I'll do what I'm for. We, we try and live in a way that we weren't designed for. We live for money or for career or for pleasure. We live for things that we were not designed for. And so we shouldn't be surprised that that does not go well. So if you want to flourish in life, then you need to function in a way that your maker made you to function. And so that's our first scene, the workshop. And it teaches us an important truth about our purpose. You were built by God's purpose. 
A passage then changes scenes. It moves from the workshop to a new location. There's the haggling of barters. There's animals bleeding and mewling. There's the glitter of sun on wares. There's the smell of freshly baked goods. We've arrived in the marketplace. And as we do, we find out the next thing about our purpose. You were bought through God's purpose. In a sense, you are a slave to the unsatisfying ways of this world, unable to free yourself, unable to get out, and God looked on you, and God redeemed you. Have a look at the second half of verse 1. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. Now that word redeemed literally means to buy back, and it was typically used in the ancient world of slaves. The way things worked back then was, uh, if you were short on money, you could sell yourself into slavery to pay for the debt. Imagine I owed someone 500000 imagine I couldn't pay it off. Then what I could do is I could sell myself into slavery to settle the debt. But then if a relative of mine came along with enough money, they could redeem me. They could pay off the debt and buy back my freedom, redeem me. And in a sense, that is what God's purpose is for you. That is what God has done. He has redeemed you. He has bought you back. We see that actually even more as the passage continues. It says God will be with us through the waters and the rivers and the fire. Why? Verse 3, have a look. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. It's that similar idea, isn't it? God has ransomed us. In a sense, it's like we've been kidnapped and we're prisoner to someone else. And God came and God rescued us. And he paid our ransom price. You were bought through God's purpose. That is how much God cares about you. That he was willing to pay for you. And do you know what the price was? What price do you think God would pay for you? For some context, uh, there's a, a new problem that started up over the last five or ten years or so. It's called data breaching. You might be familiar with it. It's where hackers will break into a company's online database of all of their customer information. Hackers will break in, they'll steal the information, and then they'll ransom it back. Uh, You might have been familiar with this. Remember, it happened to Optus earlier this year. Do you remember that? Hackers stole a huge amount of personal information, IDs, personal data, health stuff, all sorts of records, and then they they tried to ransom it back from Optus. They tried to get Optus to pay them money to not release the data. And that kind of thing, data breaching, happens a lot nowadays. I did a bit of Googling, and apparently uh, the the average ransom price that data breaches demand is 1.5 million. If they can steal the information, the average price is 1.5 million. That is a lot of money. That is a big ransom price. What price do you think God would pay for you? What feels like a fair price for you? 500,000? A million? Maybe if you feel particularly important, maybe 10 million. What price do you think God would pay for you? The price God paid dwarfs even 10 million. The price God paid for you was his own son. God gave his own son as the ransom price for you. That's what he was willing to pay. So that if you accept that payment, you might be freed from slavery to sin, 
and death, slavery to the unsatisfying ways of this world. Doesn't that shift how we think about God? He's not distant and disinterested, far off, uncaring about this world, but cares about you so much that he would pay his son to free you, to redeem you. Do you want to know what you were made for? Do you want to know what your purpose is? Well, the marketplace helps us to know. It shows us you were bought through God's purpose. From here, we change scenes again. We move from the hustle and bustle of the marketplace to the quiet, warm, peaceful comfort of a family lounge room. There's nice, comfy couches there. There's a fireplace burning away to the side. The family pet is sleeping on the corner. And of course, there's warm company. And in our third scene, we see the relational side of your purpose. You were beloved in God's purpose. So if you want to know what your purpose is, then you need to know God loves you dearly and deeply. In fact, He loves you so much that He calls you His family. Did you see that in the verses? In verse 5, we're called God's children. In verse 6, we're called His sons and His daughters. Have you ever longed to be valued? Have you ever longed for someone to care about you deeply? Have you ever longed to be completely and utterly known by someone? Well, God shows us here that that is exactly what His purpose for you is. God cares about you so much that He calls you His family. You are God's child. That is part of your purpose. Or rather, that is part of God's purpose for you. And family is a beautiful thing. Uh, the usual bedtime routine at the Blythe household is I brush Levi's teeth, then he, uh, we read the Bible, then we listen to some songs on YouTube, then he goes into his bed, and then we turn off the light, and I sing him some songs, then we say goodnight, and it's lights out. Well, one night a few months ago, though, we'd finished doing our bedtime routine, he was in his bed, I'd just sung goodnight, I'd just sung some songs as goodnight time for him, and he looked up at me, and do you know what he said? He said, my name is Levi, and your name is Daddy, and Mummy's name is Mummy, and we are best friends. That's what he said to me, just out of nowhere. He said, we are best friends. And I just felt a little tear form in, my, in the corner of my eye. It's such a beautiful thing for him to say just out of the blue that we are best friends. There's beauty in family. And in a sense, that is what we have with God. That, but even better. Because he simply has an earthly father, a sinful and a flawed father, an imperfect father. But our heavenly father is perfect and flawless. Our heavenly father has a love for us that is not tainted by anything. A love that is supreme. I wonder, are you like Levi, who just wants to be close with his father? Who just wants to say things that delight his father's heart? who leans into this beautiful relationship that he has with his father. Well, that is our purpose. And what a joy it is to get to be part of that. See, do you want to know what you were made for? What your purpose is? Well, that's what it is. The family lounge room helps us to see. It tells you, you were beloved in God's purpose. And all of that then culminates in our final scene We've had the workshop where we've seen that we've been built by God. 
We had the marketplace where we've seen we were bought by God. We've had the family lounge room where we've seen we're beloved by God. And now we enter into the throne room of heaven. And it brings together everything. It tells you what your purpose is, what you were made for. What is it? You, you were born for God's purpose. You were born to glorify God. Have a look at verse 7. Everyone who, called, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. See, that is what you were born to do, to glorify God. What does it mean to glorify Him? Well, the dictionary definition of glorify is to praise or to honor someone or something. And so, in a sense, our purpose in life is to glorify God, which means everything we say and think and feel and do should bring honor and praise to God. Everything we say and think and feel and do should make us honor and praise God more. Everything we say and think and feel and do should make others honor and praise God more. Oprah Winfrey says, well, follow your passion. It will bring you to your purpose. But actually, it's the other way around. We first need to figure out our purpose. And our purpose is to glorify God, to make others think more highly of God, to make ourselves think more highly of God. That, and that should therefore be our passion. That should be what we invest ourselves in. Now, the question we might have is, what does that look like? Well, at its core, we glorify God, I think, when we're reflecting the image of His Son. Because that is what God wants for you. He wants you to be like His Son, to be gracious and kind, to be compassionate and loving, to love God and to love God's Word above all else, to have a heart for the lost and to want to see others come to know God. And as that is what we are like, then God is glorified. Now, of course, it's important that we get the order right. We aren't saved when we become Christ-like. We are saved by God's mercy and God's kindness. And so it is then because we are saved that we want to be conformed into the image of His Son. It's also important to remember that becoming Christ-like is a slow process. It's not automatic or instant. I've been working at it for 36 years. Some of you have been working at it for longer. It's a slow process that takes a lifetime to achieve. But God does promise us that He will complete the work and that He'll help us through His Spirit. And so as we close then, what I want to do is give four ways, four things for us to work on that we can glorify God by as we're conformed into the image of His Son. Four practical ways. Firstly, we can glorify God with our affections. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And so when we love God above everything else, when our affections are captured by God above everything else, then God is glorified. I wonder, is that how you would describe yourself? Or does something else compete with your affection for God? Do you spend more time thinking about your relationships than about God? Do you spend more time planning your career progression than meditating on God's Word? Do you spend more money on possessions and on your hobbies than on God's kingdom work? Do your affections, are your affections being conformed into the image of God's Son and thus glorifying God? Secondly, 
we can glorify God with our prayers. Did you know that the, did you know that the New Testament records Jesus praying in his earthly ministry on 25 different occasions, 25 times we're told of Jesus' prayer in his earthly ministry. And so if we want to be conformed into the image of God's Son, then we have to be people of prayer. And when we are, God's glorified. When something goes wrong and our first instinct is to bring it to God in prayer, then God is glorified. When we have something weighing on our hearts and our minds and so we take it to God in prayer, then God is glorified. When something goes exactly how we hoped it would and so we stop and we give a prayer of thanks, then God is glorified. I wonder, is that what you're like? Is your prayer life being conformed into the image of God's Son and thus glorifying God? Thirdly, we can glorify God with our words. Every single word that Jesus uttered, every single sentence that he ever used, they all glorified God. Jesus never lied, but always spoke the truth. Jesus never used his words to tear down, but always to build up, even though sometimes that did mean a harsh word, and sometimes even meant declaring judgment and condemnation. Jesus never shied away from sharing the gospel, but always used his words to point people towards God. Jesus never made crude or unhelpful jokes, but always was righteous and upright in what he said. Jesus never used his words for evil, but always for good. That's how Jesus used his words. And that's what it would look like for us to be conformed into the image of his son. And when we do, it brings great glory to God. I wonder, a question for reflection. What do you think others would say about your use of words? Would they say that it reflects Christ's use of words and thus glorifies God? And finally, we can glorify God with our actions. Do you know how many commands to obedience there are in the New Testament? 1,050. Now, some of them are double-ups, so if we account for the double-ups, there are around 800 commands to obedience in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they were given 613 different commands to obedience. Now, on this side of the cross, some of those have been fulfilled in Christ, but nevertheless, it shows us that God is a God who gives commands and who is interested in how we live, who is interested in what we do with our actions. 800 in the New Testament. 600 in the Old Testament. And Christ was perfect in his obedience, perfect in his actions. And praise God for that, because his obedience was transferred to us. If it was up to our actions, if it was up to our obedience, of course we'd be in a lot of trouble, but it's not. It's up to Christ's actions and obedience, and praise God for that. But nevertheless, we should still strive to honor God and bring glory to God with our actions. When you're generous with what God's given you and you share with those in need, God is glorified. When you do good to those who hate you and you forgive those who wrong you, God is glorified. When you honor your mother and your father and you care for your children well, God is glorified. When you fight sexual sin and temptation and you strive to live a life of purity, God is glorified. See, our actions are a key way that we can bring glory to God. What do you think your actions do? 
bring glory or not? That's something to reflect on. See, ultimately, our purpose in life is to glorify God. That is what we're made to do. And we do that best as we're shaped into the image of God's Son, as we use our affections, our prayers, our words, and our actions to bring glory to God. That is what you were built to do. And having that clear purpose lifts a weight off our shoulders. See, sometimes we feel lost and unsure of what we're doing in life. We feel unsatisfied with everything else. We feel thirsty for more all the time. But God comes along and he says, this is it. This is your purpose. And it's simple and it's clear. We don't need to invent a purpose for ourselves. We don't need to chase after our passions. We're given a purpose to glorify God. And when we're living like that, that makes beautiful music to God. See, in a sense, knowing our purpose allows us to flourish in a way that we cannot without it. Without our true purpose, we're a little bit like a guitar string. A guitar string by itself, waving in the wind, is useless. It can't do anything. But a guitar string on a guitar, in tune with other strings, in the hands of a master musician, makes wonderful music. And we're just like that, held right in the hands of God, making wonderful music to glorify Him. See, that's what you were made to do. And it's only when you're doing that that you'll be truly and finally satisfied, making music in the hands of your Maker. I'm going to pray and ask that would be the case. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You that uh, You've given us a purpose. You haven't left it up to us to try and figure out what we were made for but rather have told us. We thank you that it is a beautiful purpose. We thank you we were built by your hands. We thank you we were bought by you. We thank you that we are beloved by you. And we thank you that ultimately our purpose is to glorify you because of that. And would you help us to glorify you in all that we do? Would you help us to bring honor and praise to you and to your name? We thank you for Jesus, the one who came and who opened the door, the ransom price for us that we might be bought into your kingdom. We thank you for him and his obedience. Uh, we know without him, we'd not be able to be saved. So we thank you for his life, death, and resurrection. And would you help him to be what inspires us to keep striving to honor and glory you, glorify you? Would you help us to be, uh, in a sense, a, a guitar string in the hands of a, a master musician? And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.